0: The Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit LCEF.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at LutherClassical.org. On this Friday, July 15th, we are studying Psalm 41. Even when close friends forsake the children of God, they have confidence in the Lord who sustains His people even in illness. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Rick Jones. Pastor Jones serves as chaplain and vice president of spiritual life at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch in Minot, North Dakota. Pastor Jones, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me back, Pastor Apple. Always enjoy my time here.
0: So, we're looking at Psalm 41 today, Pastor Jones. What should we know by way of context that helps us to understand what's going to be happening here in Psalm 41?
1: Sure. So, this uh, psalm is written by David, uh, attributed to him, uh, King David. Uh, The references in the psalm itself lead us to believe that this was written during a time of deep personal distress. He's apparently being mocked and plotted against, even by a close friend, as you already mentioned. And um, as well as dealing with a significant illness, is uh, as, that as he actually prays for healing from that. The psalm is um, submitted to the director of music, so it was likely intended for public use, and it's included in the Psalter as such. Um, the psalm's even been understood then to be have been utilized as a part of corporate worship, probably from as far back as the time of King David. so that's roughly 1000 BC. Um, it's these sorts of things and the the format of the, the psalm itself. Some have even suggested this might be a liturgy of healing where the first three verses that we'll get into are a uh, priestly introduction Verses four through 10 are a response of prayer for the person who is sick. And then, um, the idea is there's an understanding that there'd be a priestly blessing before the final verses are the closing response again on the part of the one who is ill, um, Whether or not that is the original intent of this this psalm to be a rite of healing, it still reinforces God's blessing and mercy for his people in our earthly struggles, and it provides us with eternal hope. What's kind of interesting about this psalm, specifically Psalm 41, it is the final psalm in the first book of psalms. The Psalter is arranged into five different books. The first book is Psalms 1 through 41, the second book is Psalms 42 through 72, Uh, then you get Psalms 73 to 89, Psalms 90 to 106, and then the last book is Psalm 107 to 150. Coming back to this book, this first book of the Psalms, Psalm 1 uh, and this Psalm both open with a benediction. So blessed is the one who and then acts a certain way or does a certain thing. It's a typical sort of benediction for didactic purposes, didactic poetry or instructional poetry. And then this Psalm has the addition at the end of it of a doxology. So that sort of sets it apart as the end of a book, all five books of the Psalms end with a similar call to praise. Um, Psalm 106, the final psalm of book four, even ends with basically an identical doxology Mm -hmm. with the praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, But it has a a final little tag on it of praise the Lord. But yeah, so for this first book, the major themes, um, they seem to be the struggle and victory of those who are faithful. And the events of David's own life are referenced many places as we'll see even in this psalm, and they all seem to serve to point typologically to the salvation found in the Messiah. So those events that David undergoes, we see referenced again then in Christ. And then even more broadly, uh, these, uh, these prayers, these, these hymns of the church, they, they speak to all of us in our physical and emotional experiences. This is the prayer book of the believers.
0: Mm. I, I, just to that, the five books of the Psalter, yeah. I've, I've heard it suggested or said that that the five books perhaps, and not, well, that they correspond to the books of Moses. Not in the sense that, you know, book one, you're going to see a lot of Genesis, and book two, you're going to see a lot <laughs> sure. of Exodus, but just the fact that there are five books was maybe in, intended as a connection to the, the Torah, the law that was given by Moses.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a possibility uh, whenever we're, we're dealing with numbers, um, We try to pay attention and God likes to use the same numbers over and over again, Um, even if that's the arrangement that those that were assembling the books of the Psalms put together and had in mind, definitely drawing us back to the full witness of God's word for the people. You got the, the five books of the Pentateuch as the foundation. This is the law that's been given to the people. And now here are the five books of the Psalms that tie us together in our worshipful life, living out that life that we see depicted in the, the Torah.
0: Uh, yeah, that's w- well said, Pastor Jones. I appreciate that very much. So we're in Psalm 41, which again is the last psalm in the first book of the Psalter. Again, to the, the choir master, the director of music, it is a psalm of David. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words, while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes, when he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me, and raise me up, that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity, and set me in your presence forever." Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. That is Psalm 41. So we see Psalm 41 start in a very familiar way. It takes us all the way back to the very first Psalm, blessed. Blessed is the one who considers the poor here. What's, the, what's going on with this beatitude we have in the first verse? Sure. So
1: opening phrase, a standard proverbial blessing. You just said it's often called a beatitude. Uh, we see them throughout the psalms even the book of proverbs in a lot of places a few places in the prophets uh, Isaiah especially uh, has quite a few and but by far the most famous usage of beatitudes this poetic formula is from Jesus in the opening of the sermon on the mount right the opening uh, in Matthew 5 we see the beatitudes uh, at times uh, these other beatitudes share the exact same sentiment that we see here in psalm 41 uh, Proverbs 4, 14 21 inverts the blessing formula, but says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. And then in Matthew 5 7, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Exact same sentiment we see opening this psalm here. Uh, Beatitudes often used to as basic uh, teaching tools. But its use in a prayer here makes it apparent that the these words are more than just an anecdotal phrase. The psalmist wholeheartedly believes what he is what he is saying. Uh, he's asking and using this sort of divine truth this in this poetic way to ask Yahweh for help. Um, mm-hmm. And then in this one specifically, blessed are those who um, consider the poor. Uh, The idea here, it's expressing the concept of having empathy and compassion with those who are helpless, uh, regardless of circumstances of health, wealth, social position, or anything else. The idea behind the word uh, consider is even one of thinking with or feeling with others. And the word that often gets translated as poor, uh, sometimes also is translated as weak, but really Probably a a better, broader understanding is anybody not having the ability to care for themselves, uh, whether, again, that is either financially or physically. I think uh, poor can work. We kind of understand it this way. Sometimes weak might be a little better. But I think uh, if we went with helpless or needy, might communicate the concept even more clearly. But I think we understand Mm -hmm. what's going on here, right?
0: Um, Yeah. Yeah. yeah so okay blessed is the one who considers the poor or who has regard for who has empathy with yes. the poor, the weak, the needy one. this is the blessed one. how does how does David move then from this beatitude into the prayer for himself for his own sickness weakness?
1: Yeah, so when he states the Lord will deliver them, it's more than just a request for deliverance. Right? It's it's clear statement of conviction and trust that the Lord cares for faithful people, whether it is uh, personal conviction uh, or more proverbial wisdom is non consequential, as both are simultaneously true. But we know he's he's putting. Um, significant emphasis into this because the following verses reinforce the same resolve with the, the belief behind it using parallelism. They repeat the same concept several more times, and parallelism is a, a staple in Hebrew poetry. You'll see the same idea repeated with different words, sometimes emphasizing different aspects of it. Some scholars, uh, including uh, Dr. Timothy Seleska, who I know you've, you've had on, uh, have noted the style of the psalm here, suggests urgency on the part of the writer, so urgency on King David. He's definitely getting into something personal as he writes this with the word choices and how quick frequently the verbs appear. Uh, and this very well may be true, um, but even the content of the psalm starts to communicate urgency as we quickly move from just that opening idea of, God, you bless those who are merciful, to now an urgent request for mercy and restoration from an immediately distressing situation.
0: So, I mean, just looking at the way that the Psalm opens with this blessing and then moving into the way David prays, it, it seems like the reason the one who considers the poor, just to use the ESV translation, sure. the reason he's blessed is because his his life is is modeled after the, the character of the Lord. I mean, the, the one who considers the poor first and foremost is the Lord. And then the one who whose life you know is is shaped by the Lord is similarly blessed because he is being shaped by the Lord in the way that he considers the the poor and just like the Lord does.
1: Right, right. So the idea of the Lord granting mercy to those who are merciful, um, it it should be understood not as like a religious quid pro quo sort of arrangement. It's it's instead it's someone who has received the incredible mercy and grace of God cannot help but likewise show that mercy and grace to others. Now, we don't act lovingly so that we can earn God's love in return. Rather, God's action is first, and then our outward actions and demeanor towards others is the result. The blessings we distribute are the response to the blessings that we have already received. And this is how we typically approach Jesus's teaching about forgiveness at the close of the Lord's Prayer. You know, since we've already talked about The Sermon on the Mount, let's get a little more of it, right? Where Jesus says, uh, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. God's forgiveness is not conditional. Instead, it is uh, our forgiving or lack thereof that is demonstrative of our faith. So we don't don't act in a certain way so that God will do that towards us. It's the opposite, right? God has already bestowed this on us. And so now our lives reflect that very same grace. As you said, the Lord is the one who shows mercy to the helpless. If we are the Lord's people, then our lives will do the same.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah. And and in particular again to those, yeah, to those who are helpless. The yeah. and we're gonna see how as the psalm moves forward, particularly when David starts speaking about those who are against him, mm-hmm. you know, th- there are those who don't share that character of the Lord. In their as they set themselves against the Lord, they also set themselves against the weak ones whom the Lord provides care for. They they show themselves to be the opposite. Yeah. David here is, is praying in hope for the you know for the people of this maybe sounds a little corny but for the people <laughs> of God to stick together that you know that they would they would support each other in their weaknesses in their neediness just as the Lord came and showed mercy to them so now the the church is called to show mercy to each other mm-hmm. and, and and of course to the world outside but I mean David here is, is going to speak about his own friends. Who, who, you know, were close friends who didn't model this character of the Lord toward them. And that's kind of, that's what's going on. And and in particular, in the case of, of an illness or a sickness, we start to see that language come up in, in verse three, mm-hmm. as the ESV translates it, the Lord sustains him on his sickbed. What's the the imagery, the situation in David's life we start to see in verse three? Yeah.
1: So he's definitely going through some kind of illness, um, a sickbed, I think we all understand. And then the second half of that verse, uh, you restore restores them from their bed of illness Um, it's sort of a weird idiom in in hebrew a more literal translation might be uh, you change their whole bed or you change their bed completely we don't know exactly what the meaning is um, but i think we can get a similar idea to changing the linens on someone's bed doing so after someone is ill is is a nice service uh, or even having your bedsheets changed during a prolonged illness, it, it provides a little bit of relief. It's, it's, a, nice, um, it's a nice feeling, right? It's a, a nice respite from what you've been going through. So whatever the, the true exact meaning of this idiom is, I think we clearly understand it as loving service that Yahweh is providing for his people. And yeah, as you, you, you kind of alluded to, David needs that right now. But he's not getting it from even the people that you would expect to be offering it to him
0: that's right. And so and, and so naturally he does turn to the Lord in prayer yes. in this moment, which is which is really where verse 4 takes us. He has been praying all along. You know, you have that one line in verse 2, you, "You, O Lord, do not give him up to the will of his enemies." Now in, in verse 4 he recounts the prayer and, and there's an interesting, well, maybe it shouldn't it shouldn't surprise us too much, but perhaps we we are caught off guard slightly by it, where David's prayer is, "O Lord, be gracious to me, heal me, for I have sinned against you, David yeah. is is connecting his illness with a sin, which that's maybe where we start to wait. Wait a second, what David? So let's <laughs> let's talk about this, Pastor Jones.
1: Yeah, we, a, a lot can be said about that. Um, but as you were kind of saying, the Psalm shifts tonally. Um, he's now addressing uh, Yahweh personally and individually. Have mercy on me, heal me. I have sinned against you. There is a lot we can say about that connection between sin and health. What we can't say is that every illness is the result of a specific sin. However, we do know that sin, as the general brokenness of the world, is the source of all illness, all disease, all toil, all struggle, and ultimately death. And of course, um, we also have to understand that all choices have consequences, and some of them may very well be illness. Also, if we look on the other side of that issue, there is a connection between healing and forgiveness. There's a therapeutic aspect of both confession and forgiveness. It's a cathartic act to confess, and to, we even say to get something off our chest, right? Likewise, the idea of forgiveness is connected to that idea of release. When you forgive someone, you are releasing the burden that their sin has placed on you. If you confess and... Um, if, if, excuse me, if the confession of forgiveness is... In the context of of reconciliation, it's also healing not only for the personal emotional state, but also for the social relationship as well. Um, Here we sort of see David acknowledging, you know, I have sinned. We we don't see him saying, you know, a specific sin caused this illness, but he does understand that by being forgiven, he will receive some aspect of healing from God. Forgiveness has this incredible power for healing. I mean, I've been blessed to see all of these various aspects of healing in my work at Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch. Youth who have carried incredible burdens, find incredible relief when they give or receive forgiveness. And we're talking about being able to move on from things like uh, abuse and neglect and, and even worse things. There is healing to be had with forgiveness. And so the idea that David is connecting his need for healing with his sin is showing he understands the total weight in which God cares for his people. It's not just physical, it's emotional and spiritual as well. Mm.
0: So, I mean, with with David's prayer, particularly the second line of verse four, heal me for I have sinned against you. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's maybe a couple of ways where we could go wrong on this. Uh, one sure. you, I think you've mentioned is this idea of a, of a one-to-one correspondence I sinned with X and so I got sick with Y yeah, or something yeah. like that I mean well what 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 can be the danger if that's the move we make right away but then we don't want to go too far and, and completely leave out the possibility of praying this prayer too I mean so like yeah. how do we there seems like there's a uh, you know two sides to fall off on help help us to to see where the sides are and, and stay in the middle
1: yeah so the, the danger can be you know you immediately associate. Uh, every sickness with a specific sin, and so you're not going to apply the proper gospel by giving them the help that they need, and they they don't receive what they actually need to get better. Uh, Likewise, if you go the opposite direction um, and and don't understand the source of of the sickness and immediately say, oh, it can't possibly be because of a, a sinful choice, then you're missing the opportunity for law to do its job so that the gospel can heal this person. And so, again, as most things do, it comes back to proper application of law and gospel. We have to know what the person needs uh, in order to provide the healing that God wants to offer.
0: That's right. Yeah, I think, you know, when I when I think through some of the places you see uh, that, uh, some of the mistakes in the scriptures, one that comes to mind in John chapter nine, where the disciples see that man born blind, yes, and the first yes. question they ask about him is, "You know, Lord, who sinned, yep. him or his parents?" Yep. It it seems that the the danger of that one to one correspondence often happens when we look at others mm-hmm. in their sicknesses or illness or, or or tragedies that befall them, whatever the the case may be. That's where we're most prone to make the the mistake of saying, right. well, you are suffering in this way because you did this wrong. And yeah. you know, Job's friends yeah, have the yeah. similar, similar mistake. It seems that's where that mistake is most problematic. When we are looking at others, mm-hmm. we're prone to think, and that's where, you know, Jesus would, would come along to those who were, were wondering about the tower in Siloam that fell and and say, well, you need to repent too, you know? I mean, like, <laughs> unless you <laughs> repent, you will perish. Yeah. But then I think I think where we where we maybe sometimes lose sight is when we start to apply it to ourselves and, and when we get sick, then we're more likely to fall off on the other side and not think about, okay, you know, what is the what where do I need to repent in my life? Yeah. And and not necessarily at least this has been, you know, and thinking about it for myself and, and trying to help others who who ask these questions. You know, like not necessarily what did I do to deserve this sickness? but I'm sick. This is a reminder that I live in a broken, sinful world, mm-hmm. and I'm a sinner. Where do I need to repent? Even if that particular sin or sins didn't cause this illness, the, just the fact that I am sick provides that needed opportunity for me to repent, which I needed yeah, all along. Absolutely. Uh, spiritual
1: healing, even in the midst of physical healing, right? Um, but yeah, that's that's exactly right. And in, in, I think you, you, you hit on sort of a, a great sin of all of us, right? We're really good judges of other people. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't always apply the same scrutiny to ourselves. Um, and so that comes down to living that humble life, living the repentant life, and uh, seeing how that plays out even in our, our own experiences. I, I like how you, you brought up, you know, the disciples asking Jesus who sinned, and Jesus goes, "Nobody. It was so that God's glory could be shown." And then he heals them. right. That's right. This is this is what this is for, regardless of the 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 specific source of of the illness, whether it is a, a specific sin or not, um, forgiveness is to be to be had and provides what is needed.
0: Yeah and I I also appreciate the way you've connected both forgiveness and and physical healing. Yeah. And I you know maybe in in our world today that kind of like wait say what you know physical <laughs> healing and forgiveness because uh, we we do often think in a very scientific way in our world today and and that's not always bad but sometimes it does I think blind us to the reality that God is behind all of this healing and and we shouldn't be too quick to dismiss the the physical realities that are given to us when there is forgiveness. My yeah. when I when I think of that I always think of of Psalm 32 in particular which we didn't cover here on sharper iron this time around through the psalms. But there you know David talks about when he didn't confess his own sin mm-hmm. how there were actually physical effects. Yeah. And and it wasn't until he stopped covering his own sin and let the Lord be the one to cover it that he he felt and he actually had a a physical relief. And uh, you know, I, I don't think we should be too quick to dismiss the physical realities. And there's a uh, there's a good reminder of this in, in many of our churches if if you're following the the Lutheran service book, the blessing that's given or the dismissal that's given after Holy Communion is, you know, the the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you in body and soul yeah. to life everlasting. That the the gifts of forgiveness found in the Lord's Supper actually do have I mean certainly primarily are for the forgiveness of sins, but man, where there's forgiveness of sins, there's life and salvation. All the good things come, yeah. and that includes physical benefits.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely, and that's actually not um, discounted from the scientific perspective either. There's countless studies out there that show there are physical benefits to having a a healthy religious life, a healthy spiritual life. That's a part of what we do here at Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch for our at risk youth. We provide some of that emotional and spiritual healing, and we see physical results. They, they, mm. there's, there's lots of physical benefits, whether it's as simple as lower blood pressure, you know, uh, or statistics will show a longer lifespan. Um, but the resiliency that comes with having that healthy uh, spiritual side adds so much benefit to us.
0: Yeah, yeah. So all the more reason to take David's prayer upon our lips when we are sick, to examine our lives, to repent as necessary, and to wait and long for the Lord's healing, both physically and spiritually. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFU. We're looking at Psalm 41 with Pastor Rick Jones. We need to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, July 15th. We are studying Psalm 41 with Pastor Rick Jones. He serves as chaplain and vice president of spiritual life at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch in Minot, North Dakota. Pastor Jones, as we left off after the or before the break, we stopped in verse four where David prays, heal me for I have sinned against you. So we, we see his sickness and then he comes back to a topic that you, you see him hinting at in the first part of the psalm. Mm-hmm. It, Blessed are the ones who consider the poor, but now he's got people around him who aren't doing that. He brings up his enemies first in verse 5. Take us into to that verse.
1: Yeah, so as the psalm progresses now, we see it, there's more than just a, a, a difficult illness that David is facing. He starts to list specific offenses from others. While he is in this state of helplessness, the state of being poor and destitute, People are not being merciful to him. They're not considering him. His enemies are treating him disingenuously. They're they're saying one thing to his face and then thinking and saying other things behind his back. They're spreading slanderous ill wishes against him. Uh, And then it's even uh, interesting to note that it's not like a singular person either. Verse 8 says the enemies are united in their animosity toward David. And then the psalm gets even more personal, as we are introduced to perhaps the deepest hurt that he has to face with the betrayal at the hands of a friend, the close friend who turns into a betrayer. It's often understood to be David's advisor, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, Ahithophel, uh, who went against David during Absalom's plot for the throne, uh, which you can see in 2 Samuel 15 through 17. But uh, a second possibility is David's close supporter, uh, and acquaintance Joab, who betrayed David by backing Adonijah to take the throne after David instead of Solomon. Uh, some have said that the references to that special clone, closeness, as well as David's sickness here, make Joab a likely candidate, uh, as he would have been ill towards the, the end of his, his, his days. But, um, you know, does it, does it really matter if we know exactly who David is referencing at this time? I don't know so much as what's important is that he's appealing to the deep emotional toll that a betrayal like this from such a close relationship can take on someone. The psalmist here is making a real confession of real human heartache that others
0: can personally relate to. So talk more about this verse, because this is one of the the main reasons that we're looking at Psalm 41. This gets referenced in the Gospels in relation to to our Lord and what happens with Judas.
1: Yeah, so Jesus claims this psalm, you know, he makes it prophetic as he applies it to Judas in, in John chapter 13. In verse 18, Jesus says, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread... Has lifted his heel against me. Um, that's <laughs> you know that's 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 pretty uh, pretty overt. And some commentators have put a lot of stress on Jesus leaving out the close friend portion here um, to allude to Jesus knowing the plan of salvation and Judas's place within it. I, I don't know that we need to go that far, but certainly Jesus applying this psalm to his own experience casts even more light on David and his life as uh, a typological figure, right? He, he is pointing forward to these things being true of the Messiah, the one who is going to rescue us all. It also shows that, that Christ experienced all of the deepest pains and hurts of humanity. We truly do have a Savior who empathizes with us. His compassion is true lived experience, he can look back to the witness of scripture from, you know, a thousand years before his birth and say, this is what I have felt as well. This is what is going to be true of who I am and what I do for humanity. You have experienced this pain. You have experienced this heartache and I will go through it as well.
0: Mm, yeah, I, I think that's one of the the most wonderful applications of, of this verse and the way Jesus applies it is to see how how he experiences betrayal which is certainly a very common thing that happens i mean how how early do we have memories of you know a friend and it can be very simple it doesn't have to be anything huge although it often turns into something huge but like just little things when you know your friend when you were 5 broke a promise i mean something yeah. something very simple yeah. simple as that jesus knows what that's like and then to the even the deepest betrayals that we experience within this life, you know, going up to the level of what Jesus experienced, Jesus, he knew that. And I I think sometimes, you know, I, it's interesting that that some commentators would, would note the leaving out of, of the close friend language, because I I don't really, I don't really see that as terribly significant because Jesus (laughs) says the one who ate my bread, like that's where the closeness is actually expressed is the guy who shared the same table with me. Yes. He betrayed me. And I I think, and I mean, I, I've, I've meditated on this recently with the congregation during a, a Holy Week sermon, just to, to think about the the real close connection between Jesus and Judas. I mean, we, we know the end of the story, and so whenever we hear the name Judas Iscariot, we automatically have those kind of bad associations pop up. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, he's the bad guy. I'm not going to get too attached to him because I know what's <laughs> going to happen to him, right? But that's that's not the way it went with Jesus. Judas was one of the twelve closest people to our Lord yeah, in this earthly life. Absolutely, that's the one who turned on him. Yeah, they shared I mean, their lives together. Yeah, yeah, and that and and the point is like, that hurt. You know, I mean, imagine imagine what that would do to you. That's what it did to our Lord. He knows what that's like, and that again, that should provide such great comfort to know that our Lord can can you know, he can consider the poor because he went through that himself. Yes, he became the poorest of us all. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean and again just to to meditate upon that and ponder that I think we find great blessing don't don't shy away from, you know, letting the Lord's human emotions shine through mm-hmm. because that that allows him to be that much more of a a savior to us to, you know, like he knows what it's like to be betrayed. He can comfort me and stand by me when I'm being betrayed as well. It's it's a great a great comfort to see that yeah. from our Lord. Yeah. So then that takes us in into verse ten. How does how does David's prayer continue? Sure.
1: So uh, another shift here uh, away from the deeds of the enemies and back towards that personal interaction with God and his prayer here, uh, and so we we jump into it, but. May you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up that I may repay them. So a little bit of God's justice is he's praying for here. But what's interesting, um, actually, what's beautiful here is the, the phrase that it gets translated as repay them comes from the word shalem. And earlier, the phrase translated as close friend, um, and sometimes even best friend, it's more literally a man of my peace because the word for peace is shalom. So here, with a little wordplay, the psalm shows the concepts of peace and justice are not just poetically connected, but phonetically connected. So a beautiful bit of poetry here on the part of David. And this connection, I I think we can even take to a full acknowledgement of of God's nature. There is peace in divine justice. He He embodies and provides that balance as a world or as our world lives, excuse me, (laughs) uh, as our world and lives are so filled with unrest and injustice, a lack of peace and a lack of justice, it takes godly intervention to set these things right. David is asking for that same thing. Um, And we know, ultimately, he will do so through the unfathomable act of injustice when the only one without sin is sacrificed for the sins of each and every one of us. And as the prophet Isaiah has proclaimed, it is that, his punishment, that brings us peace, peace with God, peace with our neighbor, and also peace with ourselves. So even in those deepest betrayals, we can find peace in the justice that God is going to provide.
0: Hmm. Talk talk a little bit more about the peace that is there in God's justice. I like the way you've said that, but I think sometimes that, and in particular in the way that it's expressed in David's prayer in the second half of verse 10. Yeah. Raise me up that I may repay them peace and God's justice. How does that go together with what we were talking about at the beginning where, you know, it is the merciful who receive mercy. Mm-hmm. How do those two things go together?
1: Yeah. So, uh, going back to the beginning, uh, you're merciful, merciful to those that are helpless. Um, those that cannot help themselves. There's, there's, a deep unfairness that we feel here, right? And that, that puts us at ill peace, lack of peace. And so when we see the love of God, which is mercy, help those that are helpless, it is writing that injustice in, in our lives. And so here we see those that should be acting mercifully, providing peace for the helpless, they're doing the opposite. And so greater injustice is being, exercised. If God heals David here, he's able to then be brought back to a place where justice can be served. And that is putting things right. That is making the, making amends, making the remuneration, whether that is going to be physical earthly justice or however God sees it for justice in eternity. There is a peace that comes from knowing that things will be as they're supposed to be. Justice will be served. Things will be put right. Amends will be made. Reconciliation will happen, or there will be consequences for actions, right? Mm-hmm. This all helps us feel better. There's a peace in knowing that things are put back to a level field.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and as you said, the, way, the place where we see all of this come together, the justice, the mercy, happens on the cross, where yes. we're... God Himself receives the justice that our sins deserved, so that we would have so that we would have His mercy, and and to recognize that sometimes you know, the the answer to the prayer that David offers here about this divine justice coming is that sometimes the Lord converts the enemies yeah. to Himself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, and, and how often does that happen? Right? Not Saul not is ends. a great example. Yeah. Yeah. So take us into the the last part of, of the prayer of Psalm 41 itself, verses 11 and 12, and then we'll talk a little bit about the doxology in verse 13 after that. Yeah.
1: So as the prayer starts to come to a close, we see another shift. The psalmist now is confident and he is able to declare that the Lord has answered all of his requests. He trusts God's deliverance is already his. It is faith in God's character as the living and steadfast Lord. Who alone has the power to provide the needed salvation? Here, as in many other Psalms, we get the impression that the very act of praying this Psalm has granted the help that was being requested in the first place. Um, I also think of Psalm 51, right, when David's laying out this repentant heart. He's broken in every way, and he lays it out there, but by the end of the psalm, he is re- he is jubilant. He's rejoicing, knowing that he has that forgiveness already. We see that get the same sort of effect here. The psalmist knows that uh, Yahweh is able to save him. He knows it is Yahweh's will to bless and protect his people. He knows Yahweh is faithful in all promises, and this allows David to confidently pr- pray this last section. He looks to God's action in granting the requests in the prayers as a foregone conclusion. These statements are not apprehensive. If you do this, then I will know you are faithful. No, these are prayers of a comforted and confident heart, trusting the Lord to continue to provide all he has promised to his faithful people from the very beginning of the covenant. Uh, And we then kind of connect this to the very final phrase before we get to the doxology. Uh, he, he, he brings about his, uh, a statement about his integrity as uh, and as having a secure spot in the presence of God. And this, again, is not a conditional arrangement. The psalmist is not earning a place in God's grace because of his integrity. Rather, because God has provided his grace and promises, uh, an eternal place of shelter and mercy, those who are faithful live lives of integrity, proclaiming and demonstrating their faith in all that they do. Um, God is the one who has perfect integrity and so his followers reflect that in their lives. Uh, this does not mean that uh, we won't have moments of failure or sin, even in this very psalm David acknowledges his sinfulness, but because of God's mercy he can lay all of those failures bare at the at the feet of the Lord knowing that God will restore us and care for us and now in this life, as we're talking about illness here, but even more preciously forever in his eternal kingdom. It is confidence, faith in who God is that provides our integrity and our ability to live our lives humbly, repentantly, joyfully, and compassionately with the hope of our place in his presence forever.
0: We've been studying the Psalms here in adult Bible class at at Grace in Smithville, And, and verses like this where David talks about his integrity, or his righteousness sometimes, I think, make us a little bit uncomfortable, as you're saying. Yeah. But when we when we keep it in the full context of the, the whole Psalter and certainly all of Scripture, what David's saying shouldn't surprise us too much. We, we've talked about this in, in several Psalms previously with the word righteousness, mm-hmm. that you know the, the righteousness that we have is a gift from God. Yes. It's his righteousness given to us. And I think similarly with the word integrity. One of one of the places that I've I've looked to as a helpful thing in the in the Psalter is in, in Psalms 26 verse one. David prays, "Vindicate me, O God, for I have walked in my integrity." But then he explains what he means by that, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. So so yeah. David's integrity is founded in his trust in the Lord, not in anything he's done. And I, I think it you know again when we keep it in the full context of the Psalter. When David says, "You've upheld me because of my integrity, it's not some character within David or or some sort of you know good work that he has done, but that's a part of his full life of trust in the Lord who has preserved David even when he was poor and weak.
1: yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. it is it is faith that trusts in who God is that allows us to make these claims, right? It is his yeah. integrity that he is shown us that we reference in those things.
0: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about about verse 13. As we mentioned at the beginning, we're at the end of book one, and we've got a doxology here that that probably is related to that.
1: Yeah. So the psalm ends with a doxology, and it serves to close not just the psalm, but the entire first book of psalms. Uh, I mean, it's likely that this was not originally part of the psalm itself, but was an appropriate addition to close the whole book. But regardless of its original composition, it serves as a thematic conclusion, yes, to the individual psalm. And then it ties the whole book together as the whole community of God's people can share this cry of praise in all of the situations that we find ourselves. It is the joyful proclamation of the individual in the moment that they are praying this, but it is also shared by all the faithful throughout time. We know that all of these things, all of these answered prayers, they are only true because of who God is. And so we can praise him even as we go through these things. We praise him as we see prayers answered. We praise him as we request that prayers are answered. We praise him in whatever situation we find ourselves
0: Pastor Jones, we've got about nine minutes on the morning. Several things I think that we can reflect on as yeah. we consider this psalm and the way that we might pray it still today. Uh, take us back again to that opening benediction. How, how does that help us as, as we pray and live our lives as Christians?
1: Yeah, I think I think there's a lot that we can say about that opening benediction. Again, blessed are those who consider the poor or have regard for the weak or have compassion on the helpless. And concluding with the Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The idea that God shows mercy to those who show mercy to others is a big part of our lives as Christians. Not because our acts of mercy and compassion earn us God's grace, but rather we respond to God's grace by being gracious towards others. It's really I, I suppose the entire summation of who we are supposed to be as his people, we reflect who he is. Luther would say we are little Christs for our neighbor, right? Uh, and I think this is uh, a great application, as Jesus himself even summarizes the entirety of the Old Testament in basically this thought. He does so in, in Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 37 through 40. Uh, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Uh, Additionally, this demonstrates that the people of God have a hand in distributing God's grace to those who need it. If we are truly the body of Christ, then we should be reflecting that in all that we do. We should be reflecting Christ as we help others. We go and reach out to the helpless because in our helplessness, God reached out to us. Uh, People who have regard for the weak, they provide that needed support by becoming the hands and feet of the Lord. Whatever need is out there, we are there to meet it with the grace that God has already demonstrated for us.
0: Yeah, there's certainly plenty of of application for that first part. Take us in again to the connection between the sickness that David experiences and the sin and the way that he prays there.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely valuable to remember the connection between sin and illness. Um, And again, along with the, the flip side of it, the connection of forgiveness with healing. We don't want to be too quick to assume that someone is ill because of some specific sin well, you wouldn't be this way if you wouldn't have done, you know, X, Y, or Z. That's, that's, that's wrong, right? Because that can dismiss their suffering um, and it can undercut the need for healing as we try to bring the application of the gospel as they are experiencing the brokenness that the law has brought into their life. However... We also cannot dismiss all connections between sin and illness because that would risk dismissing the natural consequences of some of our choices. And this time, it would undercut the need for appropriate application of the law, right? Pointing out the sin, pointing out the wrongdoing, uh, which would then help hopefully make way for the healing power of the gospel. Uh, additionally, I think there's much healing to be gained from the act of forgiveness itself. We find peace for our souls when we confess our sins and receive forgiveness from God uh, and reconciliation with those who we may have offended. Uh, And then we can sometimes find ourselves in the opposite situation, not where we need um, forgiveness from somebody else, but uh, we need to forgive something that has happened to us uh, because it is blocking our way to true healing. Right. Going back to Jesus' words at the close of the Lord's Prayer, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. It's not saying that God's grace is conditional. It's saying if you are not willing to forgive, then maybe you haven't really received the forgiveness that God offered because there's some unresolved burden that's hanging over you. Um, what we see if we're talking about therapy or or uh, people dealing with big things in their lives. Uh, often you can't move forward to real healing if you have not forgiven the sins that others have committed against you. Uh, the idea of releasing that weight, releasing that burden. Um, and ideally, in in a, if everything was perfect, um, mm. forgiveness would lead towards reconciliation. But that isn't always possible, and it's not always appropriate that two parties be brought back together in that way. Uh, Sometimes it's just about receiving God's healing from the lifting of the emotional or spiritual burden that we've been carrying for someone else. Uh, To give a quick example, uh, dealing with somebody who's suffered abuse or neglect or or something even worse at the hands of somebody else, it's not necessarily appropriate to get a victim and an abuser in the same room and say, hey, you guys got to reconcile. Instead, you have to bring the person who's been uh, victimized to a place where they can release the control that that sin has had in their life. That was somebody else's mistake. It was somebody else's sin. You shouldn't have to bear the burden for it. It shouldn't have to control your attitude or your well-being or your thoughts. You release it. You forgive it. The relationship isn't reconciled. You're You're not forgiving and forgetting. You're just forgiving. You're not letting their burden be yours to carry anymore. And that Mm. provides incredible healing, incredible liberation to move forward with a greater relationship with God and a greater well-being in this life. Yeah,
0: I mean, and that too comes from the forgiveness that comes from God alone. Absolutely, right? His, yeah. the the way that the way that we speak about it in the the liturgy in in divine service setting one, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Mm-hmm. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to to purify us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we think about that only in the terms of the sins that we've committed, mm-hmm. but that purifying from unrighteousness also goes to those sins that were committed against us. Yeah. And and that's something that only God can give. As you said, there may remain earthly matters that that don't come back together as we'd like, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean the example you gave was fantastic, but still it is God's forgiveness that purifies even that unrighteousness, those that shame of the sins committed against us. And again, that that healing only comes from from forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, about about two minutes, Pastor Jones, to help us wrap things up on Psalm forty one this morning. Yeah. So I, I just,
1: you know, we've been talking a lot a lot of great stuff in the psalm, but I think we'd we'd be uh, cheating ourselves of something if we didn't talk about um, just how the deliverance that is asked for in the psalm applies to our lives. Right? It's not just abstract hope for the future. Uh, in the heavenly kingdom. The deliverance is tangible in the here and now for the specific needs of the psalmist. And even with that, it still uh, points forward. Right? Yet, even in as there is faith in the Lord to provide the, the earthly deliverance and salvation that David needs, it also is pointing forward to the larger hope and trust in God's eternal salvation, right? There's a place in his presence forever. Uh, The prayer serves as a demonstration of God's people as those who, by faith, live both in the here and now and in the not yet. So living both in the now and the not yet. Salvation in all forms belongs only to the Lord and his people because he graciously pours it out on all of us so we can come to God with the specific struggles in our lives that we're experiencing here and now, and ultimately put our hope in Him that we already have a place in eternity. Both the now and the not yet have already been provided for us. We are victors now and later.
0: Pastor Rick Jones is Chaplain and Vice President of Spiritual Life at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch in Minot, North Dakota, helping us today with Psalm 41. Pastor Jones, thanks for being our guest today. Absolutely. Always a joy to be here. The Lord considers the poor. He has looked upon us in our helplessness and has provided his rescue. Our Lord Jesus Christ knows precisely what it is that we go through. He bears us up in our weaknesses, and he brings us to our heavenly home in him.